and action. Hello out there to all our 34 Circe podcast. And cut. <laughs> Hello out there to all our 34 Circe Salon podcast listeners. I'm Don Sam Alden. And I'm Sean Marlon Newcomb. Thank you so much for following this podcast and for your support for programs that explore the untold stories of female agency and adventure throughout history. This program is more than just something that we love doing, and we really deeply love it. It's also a mission for us. And we'd love for it to be a mission for you as well. So we've created an account on Patreon, a fundraising website, in order to help us fund the podcast and some other really great, really fun projects that we have planned. So if you're able, please go over to patreon.com slash 34 Circe and pledge your support. You can do a one-time donation or a monthly subscription. And any amount, even a dollar, helps fulfill the mission to help make matriarchy great again. So thank you for taking the time to listen to us in this exciting little commercial spot that we've given you. So <laughs> now on to the show. Welcome to the 34 Circe Salon. Welcome to Make Matriarchy Great Again. again. Welcome, welcome, everyone. Welcome to 34 Circe Salon, Make Matriarchy Great Again. I am Don Sam Alden, and I am here today with my co-host... Sean Marlon Newcomb, how are you? How are you? Good, good. And we have today with us the third leg of our tripod, our fabulous and um, elder and uh, knowledgeable uh, co-host, the fabulous Vicki Noble. Welcome, Vicki. Hi, Don. Hi, Sean. We are always excited to have you with us, Vicki. And I'm always um, happy to be back here. Yay. Um, and today, I am actually going to be interviewing my co-hosts um, about the wonderful Janine Davis Kimball. I have never met her, but both of my co-hosts have. So uh, they're going to be telling us about... Uh, both about her as a person and also saying a little bit about her um, amazing work as an archaeologist and a researcher and um, just an, an all-around um, fantastic thinker. So, Sean, I would love to start with you because you actually met her uh, through a film festival that you had previously um, been one of the organizers of. And uh, you have mentioned her quite a bit to me. So I'd love to hear how you met Janine. Well, what happened was I had uh, come up with this idea of doing a festival that would celebrate female action heroes. So it would be a film festival uh, devoted specifically and exclusively to films about women in action. So that could be anything from stunt women to athletes to uh, warrior women or women in the military Anytime a woman took physical action and physical charge and agency in a film, we wanted to be able to show it and also encourage people. And it was called the Artemis Film Festival. And I had chosen the name Artemis because, of course, she's the goddess of the moon and the hunt and also the matron of the Amazons. Um, so as part of the festival, I thought it would be great to have panels and panels where we would discuss um, any number of things. We had a stunt woman panel. We had a, a panel on women in sports. But I particularly was personally attached to the idea of having a panel about the ancient warrior women, where we'd link what's going on now with in movies and in TV and in life and culture with what was what had gone on in the past in order to show people that this isn't some new phenomenon that right, women have right. always been in action. 
that there's so, this unbroken line of women, uh, active women. Exactly. And by the way, that's how you and I met, right? We met Absolutely. Yeah. So we had a warrior woman panel and I really, really, really wanted to have Janine Davis Kimball be part of it because, uh, I had discovered Janine Davis Kimball through her book, warrior women and through the, um, episode I had seen on secrets of the dead, uh, about her uncovering the bones of the warrior women. And I said, okay, I'll just throw a Mary and see if I could get her to come. So I, I found her email. I tracked down on the internet. I think it was, she had an email that was from the center for Eurasian studies or something like that. Um, Vicky, Vicky will know better that, that particular group that, um, Janine was with and she responded. And so uh, we talked and I explained to her what it was about. And I had, I was pretty sure she was local. So local to Southern California. Right. So I said, okay, well this, this could work. And so she came and for me, it was really fun because, you know, we invite people to the festival from the movie industry, from films and TV. And a lot of people were excited to meet all these different sort of celebrities from film and that kind of thing. I just wanted to meet Janine. So I was really excited <laughs> to meet Janine. Uh, that was my rock star moment. So I got to meet, got to meet her and uh, she was just so wonderful. Her just great spirit and energy. Um, and she was a part of a panel which included um, – there was a, a woman's MMA, MMA fighter, mixed martial arts. There was um, also really amazingly one of the what were called the WASPs. That was the Women Army uh, Air Corps. So we, wow. uh, God bless the woman, uh, hopefully still with us. She was in her 90s already then. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So we had, it was an incredible, incredible panel. Uh, and Janine talked about, her discoveries with the bones of the warrior women. And I particularly was interested because one of the things that came up in her story was she had found the bones of, and, and Vicki will, uh, I know can clarify of the Saramatian warrior women. Uh, these were, this was a tribe from 2,500 years ago. And, uh, and these were bones and from the archeology span was clear that this was a warrior. It was a woman and a warrior you know, buried with, you know, the arrowheads, arrowheads and exactly. yeah, yeah, all the yeah. trappings of a warrior. And that, that was, she was not the only one. Of course, there were other women warriors there, but she had seen a little girl in the town where they were excavating. I think there was this Kazakhstan. And this always gave me chills. She had seen a little girl in the town and she just based on the girl's appearance, her phenotype, she was curious as to whether this girl could have been part of the lineage of these warrior women, these ancient women, because the people in the town currently would have had a different sort of appearance than the the, the warrior women that they had uncovered. Uh, and the little girl had a very different look than her own parents. So she said, mm. curiously, she got some of the DNA from the little girl and the DNA from the warrior that they had excavated. And it turned out that that little girl she had spotted was descended from the women she had uncovered, the warrior women. Well, that's so exciting. Yeah. 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 Just it it actually it actually wasn't in the same town as the excavation. She did have to travel um up into the steps a bit, if I recall correctly. Um, yeah, well, she she had told me that she had just seen the girl and her travel there. So yeah, um, yeah. so maybe it was around that area, but exactly. She had she'd said that she'd seen the girl as she was going off to excavate. So um, and, and you know, that's, that's one of the things that I found and continue to find most interesting about Janine as a scholar or as a researcher, um, that she she kind of had that she had that she did the kind of research that that I do as well, which is that it's visual and it's intuitive. Mm. You know, so she 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 said she talks about it all the way through her book. I'll I'll come back to it later, but sure. uh, but I just it's that's perfect. You know that she saw this girl, and then and then she doesn't just keep it in in her unconscious. You know, she acts on it. Yeah, she made the intuitive leap. Yeah, yeah, she made a leap, and then she finds the evidence. Right. 
It's yeah. a very exciting way to do research. And really, it's mainly independent researchers who work like that, independent scholars who aren't programmed. I mean, she did go get her uh, master's at Berkeley. So obviously, she knows the programming and she, you know, she knows the, the rules and how to the do science. So. Yeah, the scientific method. She yeah, was thoroughly she schooled actually, in that. Yeah, she actually was motivated. Um, in, in the way that I've always described it as feminist research, I guess that doesn't have to be what it is. It could be broader, but it's definitely could be a woman's way of researching. That yeah. would be interesting to know. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. you had mentioned that Maria Gambutas did the same thing, right? Yes, exactly. She well, she was as I said in the last podcast we did about her. You know, she was really immersed in the culture of Lithuania from the time of her birth and all the way through her upbringing. So that's a little different. Um, and, right. and but she did, she saw things visually and she made intuitive leaps. That's absolutely true. Yeah. I think uh, particularly with the kind of stuff that, you know, all three of us are talking about here, the, this, this deep and buried history of women and women in a, the history of women that has been either consciously buried or erased or has been overlooked that it requires this sort of like putting together these disparate pieces of information to be able to synthesize them in some way and go, Oh, maybe this particular factor is really what we're looking for. Or maybe that thing, which you wouldn't think of is indicative of what we're looking for. So something extraneous, like the little girl in the, in uh-huh. the village nearby somehow makes you think, okay, could this be she- connected? Yeah, she gets a hit, and then yeah. she can't let it go, you know, and then yeah. she uses her academic prowess and her very good brain to fill in the lines between the dots, you know, right. to find the evidence and prove the point. Right. I, yeah. I remember asking her, like, right when we were standing on the panel, because it was in a it was in a theater, uh, and we had the panel on the stage where the movie would be shown or where the or the movie would take place and so i said to her I remember as we we're standing next to the stage how did you how did you get that connection and she just said it's the hand of god it just mm. it was like the hand of god guided oh, me. wow yeah okay yeah just reaching down and pointing her in the right direction yeah yeah, yeah it's, it's so, just an extraordinary thing i still i want to know where that little girl is now i don't know if anyone's looked for her because i can't find anything on the internet yeah, uh, yeah. it's 25 years later so yeah. And she's, you know, part of a, a culture that still is semi-nomadic. So, you know, it would probably take quite a bit to track her down. Um, so Vicki, how did you, how did you meet? Cause you went on a, um, you went on a trip with uh, Janine Davis Kimball. Did you know her before then? Uh, barely. I, uh, I heard, I, I saw a newspaper advertisement that that this woman archaeologist was speaking at Berkeley and I went to her talk and I was blown away because she talked about the Pokrovka burials and her excavation with Yablonsky and she she called these women priestesses not just she called some of them warriors some of them priestesses and some of them priestess warriors Right. And uh, and then she talked about the main body of of women burials called hearth women, and so she had uh, really made categories and everything. But the word priestess coming out of the mouth of an American archaeologist at in Berkeley, that was that was a, like a bomb going off for me. That why, why was that? Why was that, Vicky? Why because they would never say priestess. But why why not priestess? Because they never uh, assume that women have any authority, spiritual or otherwise. The main, uh, the main archaeological establishment, it's a kind of a, when I say program and programmatic, you know, that's what I'm talking about. They have, this, they have doctrine in archaeology, as, as probably in most academic disciplines. And you have to conform to the doctrine. And over time, the doctrine has to change, of course, because people like Janine force it, you know. Right. But it, but it takes that. It takes somebody coming in from the outside 
with an outside way of seeing things and then and then somehow pushing it home to the to the point where it finally takes you know she probably wasn't I bet she had a hard time at Berkeley but I'd love to know I I don't know you know about that it'd be interesting to know because uh it couldn't have been easy well we could probably would be interesting to be to track down her son her son was there he was just such a wonderful guy and he was uh they're just they're just the lovely uh, mother and son there. Maybe we can track him oh, down. That, yeah, that'd be great. About you because- know how she, you know, what obstacles she had to face and overcome in in her getting that master's. Right, because yeah, she got yeah. her master's late, you Very said. Late, because- in her 50s. In her 50s, yeah. Do you remember, I'll read you a little section where in her introduction in her 2002 book, uh, which Time Warner published, she says... She was born in Driggs, Idaho, in 1929. She says, I discovered my calling only after three marriages, six children, and a varied resume that included stints as a nurse in Idaho, an administrator in a convalescent hospital in Southern California, an English language teacher in Bolivia and Spain, and a failed cattle rancher in South America. <laughs> so wow. you get that she's not like a normal archaeologist. She didn't go from, you know, from her undergraduate work to her graduate work and become a programmed uh, doctrinal archaeologist. She she came from way out. She to- lived a lot of lives before she got to archaeology. Exactly. So I I, I think that is what made her such an interesting person and it's certainly what made her the person and and the fact that she uh did excavations with the russians the russians had been excavating what they called amazons for 50 years but we didn't know that until glasnos it was after the the wall came down that janine was able to that she got invited to work with um, Yablonsky uh, on on an excavation. Right, right. So, Can I ask you, because like, I think it was in Double Goddess you mentioned the difference between how the Americans and the Soviets approached the concept of these these warrior women, these priestesses. Well, this happens all the time with uh, uh, P- uh, archaeologists and scholars from. You know, Eastern European countries from uh, from other just from other countries than America, um, where they uh, and from they're not British and they're not American. They see things in a more to to my mind in a more direct way. They just see what's there and they just call it that, and they don't have a big anti-feminist agenda that they have to conform to. So if they see women warriors buried with weapons and everything, they just say so. So for 50 years, they've been saying so. Mm. And the same is true of uh, the, the Russian, the Soviet archaeologists. I think they, I'm not sure they were from Russia. They might have been from uh, Central Asian countries. But um, Victor uh, Serenidi and... Uh, Oh, I'm blanking on the other guy's name, but they're just fabulous scholars and have written wonderful books together and separately. And uh, they um, they had to stop digging in 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 uh, Turkmenistan and some of the places where they were digging in Central Asia after the wall came down and it was no longer Soviet territory. Right. They got looted, mm. <laughs> but um, but basically all all the archaeologists or many you know that I've come across who are not American and not British they they just report more directly that they that there were women in this culture who had very high status there were high-ranking women in these burials there were you know priestesses they probably use the word priestess probably Yablonsky used that word I don't know but mm-hmm. certainly Janine did and and she put it on the map because nobody in American archaeology, uh, I would I would put money on it that nobody had ever used that word before, except maybe yeah. in classical Greece or something, you know. Right. right. But she's yeah. talking about something completely different. She's talking about shaman women, you right. know, priestesses who 
who have the juice, who who are going into trance and you know and and leading the people in religious. Right. And right, that's, that have uh, that have positions of very high status. Very in high their, status, and that's yeah. why all the gold, you know. Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I think that's uh, what both both of you in reading her her book, uh, Warrior Women, reading your book, Double Goddess. It's the, it's the way I think the thing that I'm most drawn to, you know, because you and I, Vicky, met in a similar matter. I just reached out, sending an email after having read your book. Yeah. And, and yeah, which. I, I think it was because you had said in the book, where is the Schliemann looking for the homeland of the Amazons? And I was like, I'm right here, but I have somebody to do it. So. And very, uh, very uncharacteristically, I answered you. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh that's interesting. Yeah. Have, you got, have other people like written and said, I, you know, we're going to do it. And you're like, no. No, people don't haven't written that exact thing. That was an anomaly. It was wonderful. It was totally exciting. Uh, you had you had read my book. That's amazing. <laughs> um, uh, I'm talking about just more more general invitations. Sometimes aren't that attractive, you know, because uh, okay. kind of mainstream and not really up my alley. Right. Yeah, right. Well, what's interesting about your alley and Janine's alley is again, you just reach, you, you connect all these strands, and that's what was so, I guess, exciting uh, about Janine's work. It's like, you know, just looking at the the Warrior Woman book. She's talking about the the mounds and the priestesses. She's talking about the the bones she's uncovered. She connects to the the Celtic warrior queens, which I, I think there's all a connection there myself between a lot of these things. Yes. Yes. Uh huh. Right. Well, that, you know, independent researchers are. Uh, they're interdisciplinary as mm. a group. Yeah. And so we see That's things, you know, and we make associations and we and we can, if we're lucky, we can make a cogent synthesis from all of those things that we're seeing. Um, and that's so that's very interesting, Sean. Thank you for saying that. That's a very good observation. I think that's probably true. And it was also true of Maria Gimbutas. Uh-huh. Right. right. So tell us more. So that's how uh, you, well, you so sort I of was, met Janine first. Yeah. So I'm at this talk and she she's just has just blown me away. And I, I just raise my hand and tell her that, you know, that I have never heard an American archaeologist use the word priestess and kudos to her, you know, for, uh, for her work. And so we, I don't remember how it unfolded then after that. It wasn't very long. That was 1996. And in 1997, we went, she invited me to go on this trip to Russia. And I think, you know, I was sort of in a worshipful uh, position with her. I was fascinated and uh, incredibly grateful to find someone doing what she was doing. And, um, and I let her know that. And I think for a while, you know, we, she, so I think she just needed some people to go on the trip to fund it, basically. So she invited me and she invited a friend of mine, uh, Christina Biaggi, who was also a friend of Maria's. And, and so be it, you know, we, and I had to go, I, I had a, there was a woman who had been on my board, who had been in my school and on my board when I ran a school and she hosted me in her San Francisco home. She was a socialite and a wonderful uh, mother peace lover and all of that. And she hosted me uh, and a bunch of her friends came and, uh, we asked for, I, I presented my work on the Amazons and the Dakinis, and she asked uh, for for them to be Amazons and pony up $1,000 each, you know, to to send me to Russia, to the museums. And they did. Nice. Very exciting. Otherwise, I could never have done that, you know, because it was thousands of dollars to go. Right, on. right, Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic! Yeah, it was it was extraordinary. It was an extraordinary opportunity for me. I, I'm really grateful to her for that. Sounds like she was community minded. I I suppose. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, you love students who uh, admire your work. <laughs> <laughs> that too. That too. Get so what you're doing. Yeah. So tell us about this trip. Right. Yeah. 
Well, it was uh, it was like a <clears throat> three or four week trip. Three weeks, I think. We um, we started in. Uh, I met her in Kiznov, Moldavia, and we went to the museum there, and then we flew to uh, Rostov na Donu, uh, Rostov on the Don. Uh, near the Sea of Azov. And I've always felt that that was very near the place where the Amazons supposedly had um, mutinied and gotten rid of their uh, Greek um, abductors. And they were on these boats that they didn't know how to sail. That's how the story goes. And they ended up... uh, um, not capsizing, but what's the word? Shipwrecking. <laughs> right, right. They they sort of were blown yes, uh, by blown the winds and right. <laughs> finally hit land at this random place. Yeah, uh, which I think was uh, right where we were. You know, around that area that's near uh, the Sea of Azov is part of the Black Sea, but it's also kind of a uh, a thing in itself. And so anyway, that we, we landed there and met an archaeologist, a wonderful young woman archaeologist from, uh, from that area. And she took us around the whole time. She was with us in our car uh, for all those weeks. And taking she, us. What was her name? Because maybe that's someone we could all connect with when we finally, when the world opens again and we finally go off on our journeys. Uh, you know, she was from a place called Elitsa, uh, and she was uh, Kalmyk from, from the area of Kalmykia. And I cannot at this moment remember her name, and I'll look it up for you. Perfect. Great. Yeah, she was just a darling person. I, I made a very good contact with her, and we, we, were, we were friends by mail for a while, but that was a long time ago. Back when people... Actually wrote letters. <laughs> right. <laughs> we went uh, to a few sites in uh, Kalmykia, and we went uh, uh, on the Don River a little bit. But then we crossed over uh, and started up the Volga. And that was the main um, course of our journey, was several weeks going up the Volga River and hitting every museum along the way. They are, there are all these small museums, you know, all over the world. I don't know if people know about this. They're, they're always near the sites, are mm. all local museums with wonderful finds from whatever site has been excavated wow. in that area. And we can you just tell, tell everybody where, where, the, where these are, what countries they're in, just so we all have a, a good sense of Oh, it was all Russia. All in Russia, okay. Yeah. Um, I suppose it's sort of, it's the steps, you know, between the Don and the Volga, and then up the Volga. It was, uh, it was thrilling. I've never been, I had never been anywhere like that. It was rugged. I, uh, I had, I had hurt my back. I'd kind of thrown my back out right before the trip, and I almost didn't go. And, and then I sort of, I, I did astrology, uh, and I actually did an astrological, uh, what's called an astrocartography chart, which is where your your astrology is placed on a map, and oh. and you see what lines are where, and it's uh, and and the line going straight up through where we were going to go uh, for me that year uh, passed over the asteroid of Palisathene. <laughs> oh wow i said i have to go you know it's okay. fate so yeah. i so i did and it put me at a disadvantage on the trip because janine is uh she's very she was very tough and uh you know she had gone on all these trips by then and she had gone to very rugged places and she was she was just she was amazing she was a trooper and and could do that uh in a strong, healthy way, whereas here I was kind of half debilitated. Oh, and dear. so, yeah, it was a problem. It was, it sort of didn't go well with us for the first week or two, but we got over it eventually. You know, I just, I couldn't measure up and she couldn't really <laughs> tolerate she it. 
wouldn't <laughs> slow down for you, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. And Maybe I didn't you know. want her to slow down. Of I just, course, of course. It was yeah. just I was I was in a weak state, and somebody like Janine, you know, that's just that is not acceptable. And at oh, times in my life, I've been the same way. So I don't even begrudge her that. Right. right. It was a, so, just an, an unfortunate uh, part of our. Unfortunate timing. She, yeah. she was a horsewoman too, right? Wasn't she? Yeah. Well, she ran so, a cattle ranch yeah, in exactly. South America. So. Yeah. yeah so oh. she had yes. that, that background. Right. So tell us what you found in these museums. Well, you know, I, I sent you a couple of those pictures just for fun. Um, yeah. But at every at every stop, we saw the the artifacts from burials. Not now. This is not Prokrovka. This is not her work. This is other archaeologists in Russia who are digging and uh, finding the same kinds of things. So we were seeing burials of women with. Uh, Swords, short swords, um, daggers, uh, you know, all the different kinds of weaponry that mark a warrior in, in that area. Uh, and it was, and, all, and the priestesses, so, so she's the one who really categorized, and maybe this came from the Russians originally, I don't know, but she very definitely categorized the different burials as priestesses and warriors and now and then a warrior priestess and then what she called this came from her Pokrovka digs the the hearth women the just like regular women you know but in a culture that uh, elevates women and puts them in the leadership you and know she based these categories on the grave goods correct yes and she came to be the expert in terms of what what uh, what characterized a priestess, and and a lot of that did come from other archaeologists who had dug in different places, and she was using their work, you know. But there would be in the graves there would be portable altars, for example, and there was a guy. Uh, who had done uh, an incredible study of all the altars, <clears throat> all the portable altars found all over Central Asia. Um, and, and so she was using that research, and she, was, uh, she, she just had such a good eye. And once she saw it, it was very much the way Gimbutas did her work. Once she saw it, she knew it. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and, and you couldn't, you know couldn't budge her from that. She had really good self-authority. Nice, nice. And mirrors, I believe, uh, mirrors were also mirrors, yeah. an indication of uh, divination. It's a divination tool. Yes, so that exactly. Was an- and, and basically she said of all those things, mirrors and shells were the two real indicators that were almost always in the priestess graves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then there were other things that were often in the priestess graves. And some of the priestesses had diadems, you know, almost like a crown. It was part of their headdress that they were buried in. Vicki, you talk in your book about the time frame that these women were were from. So maybe if you can say a little bit about that. And I think you, you point out that they were much later than what we usually talk about when we're talking about these matriarchal civilizations. Yes, that's true. And, and uh, you know, the whole Bronze Age is like that. That's when the Amazons, at least in my opinion, that's when the Amazons first appear. They're yeah. kind of a resistance movement, you know, to the patriarchal invasions that happened that changed everything. So oh, starting, around, starting in the third millennium, there are these warrior women, and also in my double goddess research, uh, the Amazons were believed to have been ruled uh, by two queens. They ruled in dual queenship, they, uh, and the scholars describe it sometimes as a war queen and a domestic queen. Mm-hmm. And and the way Janine looked at it, she just said priestesses, the 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 women in the 
<clears throat> in the shamanic leadership, and then warriors that were that went to war, just like the men oh. did. Um, oh, okay. okay. And then you know, a certain percentage, a small percentage, were uh, war- warrior priestesses or priestess warriors, and that was she thought very special specialized and very high ranking and that and that those were the women that uh the chieftains came to for guidance and oracles and things like that mm-hmm. right right yeah the uh the pokrovka burial um they found that uh the warrior priestess that they found was the only one buried in that kurgan which was an indication that she was a very high rank. Yes, and I think that happened because it was the it was it happened to have not been um, raided, yeah. raided by bandits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They got so, so was, lucky. That was so lucky. Yeah, that was wonderful. Uh, she 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 says uh, in one place in her book, we were generally able to determine the sex of the initial burial figure occupying the high status central pit and 72% of the time it was a woman wow and she says often males and other females had been laid out beside or on top of her in subsequent burials um occasionally a burial pit might contain as many as 10 skeletons or a kurgan as many as 32 wow the position of honor wasn't reserved for warriors or priestesses. The central burial figures often were hearth women, lending further credence to speculations that the sorrow, sorrow, and sorrowmation she hyphenates it uh, might have been matriarchal societies. Wow. So again, she's totally out of the box that she would say that, you know. And so she and I had so much in common in the ways that we came to the work. And, and yet, uh, you know, there was this funny kind of competitive edge. It was weird. Uh, And we always had to kind of get work our way around it. Uh, But she did come, you know, I think I might've told you about when I was the, a lot of the burials that we saw going up the Volga were, they weren't, uh, they weren't bow-legged burials the way she shows a picture from Pokrovka. Uh-huh. They were actually bent knee burials. Like one leg was bent at the knee. And that's that to me, I just looked at it and said, that's a dakini, you know, oh, that's the dakini right. posture. So what is it doing here in in the Volga, you know, in the area of the Volga River? And that became my motivating question um, in terms of tracking from the Mediterranean and the Black Sea all the way through Central Asia to Tibet, the Tarim Basin and the mummies. And so could you, could you please say more of that? Because that was for me in terms of, you know, my connection to you. That was the thing that I, that's the way I found my way to you because I started to read and put together different things where I was like, Hey, there's a connection between all these different, what I perceived as matriarchal groups and they spread into places I wouldn't expect them to go. And Uh then I read your, I just, you know, Googled something and one, something you wrote popped up about that connection into the Tarambation, into Tibet. So could you say it? Because I've always wanted to, to have us talk with you a little bit more about that. Could you say a little something about that? Because yeah, I think it's sure. one of the most well, fascinating things. You know, I had been, uh, I had received Dakini mandala practices in my Tibetan work. I'd been do, uh, Tibetan Buddhist since 1980. And I, uh, I took a retreat with Sultram Alioni in 1995. So this is all around the same time, you know, right before I met Janine. And I was given these Dakini practices uh, on the retreat, and um, and then over the years uh, have gotten more and more Dakini practices from different lamas, and and then uh, eventually, you know, I started to actually work with those practices rather than just going to retreats. And but at the time, at least I had in my mind the Dakinis of Tibetan Buddhism. And could you, they, could you just they, say what they are again, Vicky, yeah. just the listener? The yeah. They're, they're shaman women. You know, they're fairy goddesses. They're 
their deities uh, of who are only uh, gendered female, and they and the word for Dakini in Tibetan is Kandroma. And Kandroma or Kandro is uh, a woman who flies through space, a woman who moves through space, a sky dancer, a sky goer. And this is, uh, this is sham- shamanism. This is female shamanism, moving in and out of one's body, being able to uh, move through space. People in the West would call it... Um, astral projection you know but it's it's a in indigenous cultures all over the world it's just understood as part of shamanic work <clears throat> that you can energetically move in and out of your body you can move in and out of other people's bodies it's the basis for uh energy healing work mm-hmm. so anyway i i had dakinis on the brain and i was looking at the <clears throat> some images from a book on the scythians and the central image, it was almost like a centerpiece of this book, was uh, a, a, they called her a noble woman. And she had a gold crown and she had gold pieces all over her in the burial. And, uh, you know, she's a skeleton and the knee is bent. And so I found that image. I, I had loved it early on when Karen and I were doing our research for Mother Peace. And then I found it again before the trip to Russia when I was sort of boning up. And I thought, this is such a long shot, but I'm going to take this picture of this Scythian woman who's buried in this pose, and I'm going to take a picture of a Dakini, a Tibetan Dakini. I'm going to take both of them with me uh, and just see what, what I find. And Janine was not open to that when we talked about it when I first got there. She kind of poo-pooed it and, you know, it just seemed, uh, uh, I don't know, sophomoric, I think, to her. Um, but, but interestingly enough, there were so many of those skeletons with the bent knee um, in these graves with the grave goods that we're talking about, that the archaeologists that we talked to in the various museums who had done the digs and were familiar with it all, to them, it was a splendid idea. They, they totally went for it. And so eventually, by the end of the trip, Janine, in a kind of, you know, it was humorous, we were playing, but she was also came to call uh, those all those uh, burials that were in the bent knee pose, the Dakini posture. Mm-hmm. And so that was, that was really exciting. You know, it was corroboration. And that's what, then I, after the trip, I went back and wrote the double goddess. Finally, um, I had been working on it for ages and I finished it in 2003. So it was like an eight year project. And right, right in the early stages of it is when I went on the trip in 1997 with Janine. What did Janine think of Maria Gambutas? Um, she didn't use her very much. We had a lot of conversations about that, as you can imagine. Right. You know, yeah. I just tried not to be too unruly on the <laughs> uh, and just to respect her, her own, you know, her what she had come to understand. But um, but she did blurb my double goddess book, so it's you know she came to. Uh, respect my work as I very much respected her work. We just didn't always agree. (laughs) Right. Right. Which is totally fair. You know, I mean, and she's very strong minded and strong willed and so am I. So it was a wonder that we, you know, kept up. And I, I would say that she wasn't, you know, she's not overly, I don't know, overly generous with, with material, but when I needed, her at the end of my book, when I was trying to put together, I was in the process of putting together my uh, the the Amazons and the Dakinis and trying to put together the connections that I had perceived between the Mediterranean area and the women shamans there and the Tibetan Tarim Basin Tibetan area uh, and the Dakinis there, and that was really a long shot. But I I got there. And at, toward the end, 
I realized that I hadn't understood the transliterations that happen in uh, the Chinese language. It happens a lot, but I didn't know that until I was deep into the research. Um, so a place like, uh, you know, in, in, uh, in a famous Dakini biography from Tibet, uh, Yeshi Sogyal, it, who's the co-founder of Tibetan Buddhism, uh, is said to have been born uh, in Charchen, in, in the land of Charchen. And so whatever. But then the mummies were found in a place called Cherchen. And suddenly, I don't know what took me so long, but suddenly I understood, oh, my God, it must be the same place. And so it was exactly what I was looking for because I was trying to make a connection between the shaman women from all the way to the Mediterranean and these Dakini women in Tibet. And sure enough, there it was. And so I called Janine and asked her, can I say this? Are, are these places the same? I think it must be the same area. Uh, and she said she didn't know for sure. And she found me a guy at Stanford who would know and she gave me his number and that was nice. a very big help to me because it it allowed me to be able to make that final claim in my book that right. so, you, so you could corroborate it then directly that these so here's a founder of this this uh this form of buddhism that comes from this base from where the mummies were found and then you could connect that back all the way all, back all the way back isn't that incredible that's that, and no one talks. See, this is incredible to me because no one talks about this. We talk about the like the Yamnaya and, and Dawn and I. You, you and I have chatted about these competing, you know, movements. These different waves. Like everyone talks about the Yamnaya, as we've talked about in this podcast. The the Indo-European warriors. Their their movements throughout from the steppes in through Europe. But no one talks about the matriarchal sort of like counter movement, which right. you found. And well, that's what uh, you know. I've talked about this as a as a Tibetan treasure, just like I was talking about Gimbutas's work. That right. uh, when these mummies were unearthed, and when we learned about them, you know, because again, we didn't learn about the mummies in China until the nineties. Um, even though the Chinese had been finding them for a long time, but they're Caucasian, and they they weren't really thrilled about that. Right. You know, they they have a kind of um, they have a self image, just like probably we all do. That they sort of uh, grew up their culture independently, right? Uh, and and instead, here you see, you know, the first burials in that area are Caucasian, uh, so they had to get used to that and they had to deal with it. And uh, and so we hadn't heard about it until it until things became available uh, in English. Um, and then there it was. So it was very beneficial for me. And uh, I just think it's not uh, not that many people are looking at the mummies, um, you know, so we can do a whole we'll, we'll do a whole thing. Yeah, well, because yes, what's, what's significant about that, you know, like you say, it's linking back to the warriors and back to these earlier groupings and just shows you, which I think is often deliberately overlooked, the effect and influence of women throughout world culture. So yes, absolutely. One of the things that my that one of the main premises in my double goddess book is that the reason that we that I that I that we could say or see or compare the women's shamanic activities all the way from from the one place in the west to the to the far place in the east is because even though the cultures went through tremendous changes and uh, empires came and went and these chieftains and these confederations of nomadic people and just all the things that happened over the period of the Bronze Age and into the Iron Age. During that, that period, everybody's moving around and there's all kinds of things coming and going, rising and falling. But the thing that stays consistent is the female leadership in the religious aspect of each of these uh, different and disparate empires. And that, when I realized that, I, I realized that was the key. The women, you know, they, there was a long time when people didn't really understand Central Asian history as a part of world history. And I think the main reason for that is that they were watching the, the male 
kings and emperors and chieftains and uh, what else are they called? You know, all the ways that men came into the temporal leadership in the various places. And then they had these big empires and it's all very individualized. You know, it's Genghis Khan and it's so on and so on. Um, but, but the women are just doing the same thing they always did. They're the shaman women, they're the shaman priestesses, and they're, uh, they're running the rituals. And, they're the, and there's images all the way across Eurasia mm. of, of the women doing that work. And it's in the little gold plaques that are sewn onto their clothes. And so all these things that Janine and other people were finding um, from these of these women in the burials, it, it all had to do with that. They're all practicing a kind of female shamanism that was so consistent that it didn't matter uh, that they were in different cultures, that you could still see the same uh, uh, accoutrement, you know, mm-hmm. the same characteristics and the same artifacts and so on. So, and just so I understand, too, the transmission of those connections you're seeing as having a source that comes from the area that we've talked about with the, uh, in Anatolia and the Mediterranean with the matriarchs. And it's, it's connected by movements. You know, I think as you described it, matriarchy on the run a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's, it's a real, not just cultural, but a real human connection that brings them. Absolutely. And they're, they're burying their stuff. And so there are all these hordes from the end of the Bronze Age, you know, that have a lot of uh, female uh, artifacts and uh, gold and silver and so on. They're found all around the Black Sea and mm. up into Europe and across Central Asia. So uh, I, I just I think you can tell it like a story, like a novel. Right. Yeah. If I were a novelist, that's what I would do. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, we're um, we're sort of uh, drawing towards an hour here, so I just wanted to um, have uh, us talk briefly about um, the other areas of uh, Janine's research on warrior women and warrior uh, queens and Amazons, because she not only in her book, she not only talked about the area that we've been talking about by the black sea, but also um, uh, Irish warrior Queens, Celts and and the like. So what are some of the other um, areas where she, where she, had evidence of these warrior women and spoke about them? You know, I'm not sure I'm really the right uh, person. I don't know that I have the expertise to talk about that part of it, um, because the the only way that I connect those things is the weaving and the work of Elizabeth mm-hmm. Barber and, and how she saw that the clothing worn by some of the migrants to the Tarim Basin had she she found the homeland of that weaving style and where that first uh, came from and it went in both directions it was it was around the Black Sea and and the probably the Caucasus area but uh, around the Black Sea basically and so um, they found like tartan plaid wool twill clothing on these mummies. And then they also had found that kind of fabric in the Hallstatt culture, in the salt mines. So the, in the Tarim Basin, the reason, <clears throat> the reason there were mummies and the reason that you could still see their hair and their skin and their clothing, normally those things all degrade. Integrate, yeah. Yeah, but they didn't because of the salt and the sand in the Taklamakan Desert. <clears throat> in the Tarim Basin, in the Ten Shen. So uh, the Hallstatt mines, the salt mines, provided the same kind of uh, artifacts so that the this uh, textile expert was able to say these are the same and they come from the same source, and the source was uh, near the Black Sea. And the Hallstatt people were ancestral to the people who eventually ended up in Ireland and Scotland. And so that's why Scottish tartan plaid uh, matches, you know, the, what the mummies were wearing. 
if that makes sense. Yeah. And, and yeah. most people think, and there's there's strong Indo-European connections between those those places. So I don't know if they were all Indo-European. I I think the jury's still out on that, but but a lot of them were, and there's a connection that way with language as well. So Sanskrit and Gaelic have something in common, and you know. Oh wow. Yeah, I mean it's interesting too because I mean I think the jury's out about what you know the. Indo-European or the Anatolian, but the one thing, Dawn, that is that there is connected to myth. And there was a Roman story of Onomaris, which is the idea of Onomaris was a Celtic warrior, Celtic queen, warrior queen, and the Celts at that point, according to the story, were by the Black Sea in that area. Mm. And the story goes that they were looking for someone to lead them and no one would lead until Onomaris stepped up and said, I will lead our people out of this trouble. They were in some trouble, suffering, scarcity. And she leads them out of the Black Sea into Europe, crossing the Danube and then eventually into Ireland. So there is, I mean, there is at least in folklore and myth, this connection. And I've always thought this is where Vicky, where when I'm looking at stuff, I, I've always thought there is something about the Celtic culture and customs where there's such an emphasis throughout in mythology, in their laws, and just in the history of things the Romans wrote about them of women warriors. And it well, just, and not and not only women warriors, but just women in the leadership in some way, you know, and the goddess, the goddess tradition, because what the linguists, this is what my friend Miriam Robbins Dexter is so good at, you know, her book, Whence the Goddess, puts a lot of these things together through language. Um, and and uh, the goddess Danu yeah. uh, is very uh, present in the, in the area of Russia where we went. All the rivers, the five rivers that dump oh. into the Black Sea wow. from the north are all uh, they all have names that are part are, are rooted in the goddess Danu, and then in Ireland, it's the Tuatha de Danann. Right, are the are the people who came into Ireland and uh, you know made I pretty much I think very early. I'd, I'd have to check that, but I think it's pretty prehistoric. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And so and- there there are those connections as well, and they're very strong. So yeah. it's, it's exciting, you know, because, exactly. again, in archaeology for such a long time, there was such a strict doctrine about non-diffusion, this very, very strong belief, very strongly contested um, belief that uh, people didn't go anywhere. They didn't travel. They couldn't. You know, they were too primitive. And then, of course, we, we've learned that, of course, they did. They went everywhere in the world. Right, right. Very across important. oceans and just yeah they yeah. they were constantly moving yeah it's part yeah. of being human it's why we spread all over the earth we have wanderlust <laughs> we have to move we're the tool makers so we have the means of right. going where we want to go there you, go you know one more thing i'd like to contribute to the discussion about janine is that um and I wish I had it in front of me. I don't, uh, but uh, we can post it maybe. Um, she translated uh, a very thick book on, uh, it was an anthology of, uh, of archaeology, uh, archaeologists and other, maybe historians, but mostly archaeology, of the whole Central Asian area, um, all the way from the Black Sea to the East, and it was just so important to me that book, uh, and she, you know, she it was part of her her connection with the Russian archaeologists. I think that made that book possible, and she translated it through her organization, which you named in the beginning, Sean. Mm-hmm. What did what did she? I think call it was a center. It? I think it was called the Center for Eurasian Studies. Well, I'll I'll double check. Yeah, I think that's right. And this book, big blue book, was I mean, I just underlined the whole book. I learned so much. Uh, almost everything of what I know about the Central Asian tribes and the nomadic tribes and how they were moving and who was moving where and 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 how many were matriarchal and so on. You know, all of that came out of that book. 
Uh, it was just really, really important. Fascinating. Can Can I leave us with something, uh, Dawn? That I that's just my yes. experience with Janine. So absolutely. When I was had created the festival and was involved with it for the first three years of it, and so the second year Janine was there, and the third year I wanted to have. Janine come back and I uh, was so excited that she came and it was so much fun. And I just having met her and having read her book and watched her on the, the couple of different shows, I knew how the idea of the warrior woman excited her. Um, in fact, just as an off topic, I was thinking Vicki that the two of you together were almost like the double, the double goddess, so to speak, one <laughs> being the priestess and one being the warrior. Oh, that's that the, good, Sean. That's really good. That's yes. So, <laughs> uh, but so I reached out to her, it was 2017, and I reached out to her, I think in January, February, as we started to prepare for our April, we always had the festival in April. And so I sent her an email and said, hey, you know, you know, how are you? I hope you, you know, be interested in coming back. And she immediately wrote back, yeah, absolutely. Just let me know when it's going to happen, uh, when you get closer. So as we got close to the festival, I emailed her. Uh, the festival's mid-April. I might have emailed her early part of April just to kind of check back. And I was worried I was, that I maybe emailed too late. I hadn't heard back. So I emailed her again, and I hadn't heard back. And I was like, oh, this seems strange. I was worried. Like I was like, oh, geez, maybe... Maybe she didn't like being around us. Maybe there was something else going on. <laughs> and so finally I found her phone number and I called. And then a, a young woman picked up and I explained who I was and what the festival was. And she said, you know, I'm sorry, but my grandmother, it was her granddaughter, passed away a couple of weeks ago. Oh. And I was really, really heartbroken. She said, and I, you know, I passed along my condolences. And then she told me, she said, you know, your festival was her favorite. So, oh. Oh. and, I was and so, that's, you were the first person to tell me that she had died, Sean. Remember one of our first yeah. conversations? You said, I'm so sorry for, you know, for the loss of Janine. And I was like, oh my goodness, I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, it was, it was sad. And I, I can say one sort of, you know, we were talking a bit earlier about sort of, prophetic or mystical things in the interim between the time I had reached out to her and the time I heard about it, I had had a dream, a very clear dream, uh -huh. which outlined what I was supposed to do in the Black Sea and how I was supposed to find the Amazons. And I can only attribute it to like somehow that spirit reaching out and saying, go ahead. I mean, it was very detailed about, uh -huh. you wow. know, Steps well, in the chapters and all that stuff. So she uh, she reached out to you from beyond the grave and said, "Get it done. Go out and do it." So I'm thinking, <laughs> well, hopefully she's it. still uh, she's still having an influence. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, you guys, I found that book. Uh, I found the title. Oh, really, great! I really want to recommend it. It was 1995. Uh, it's it's Janine Davis Kimball and Vladimir Bashilov and Leonid. Yablonsky. So it's all three of them. She did the translating. It's called Nomads of the Eurasian Steppes in the Early Iron Age. It's Berkeley uh, Zinnot Press. So I, I, if anybody wants to really get into some of Janine's really excellent scholarly work, because the Warrior Women book is a, a popular book, you know, right, that, that right. Tom Warner put out. Very readable, wonderful fun. Um, but this is this other one is very academic and uh, extremely useful for researchers. Nice, nice. And uh, the book we're talking about is titled "Warrior Women: An Archaeologist's Search for History's Hidden Heroines," and it is Janine Davis Kimball, PhD, with Mona Behan, B-E-H-A-N. And uh, she was, as as we mentioned at the beginning, she was always uh, also featured on an episode of the television series Secrets of the Dead. Uh, she did a Nova episode um, yeah. after her book was released, so sometime in two thousand four, I think you said, Vicky. Yes. No. Uh, no. Too. I, yeah. No. Sean said that. I don't know. Okay. If that Nova came. Okay. Yeah, I, 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 I looked it up. I think it said season four. 
Okay, great. Uh, Nova, so. great. So there are places where you can uh, follow up with her work and learn more about um, the specific dig in uh, Pecrovia, which was uh, where she found that amazing uh, priestess warrior grave, uh, Kurgan grave. So I think we should uh, we should finish it up there. And thank you both so much for sharing your uh, stories and memories of Janine and her work. Yes, and I, I'm glad you said it was just recently her birthday. Yeah, yeah November 23rd, as I like to point out, a day after mine. A day wow. after yours. Sean, that's amazing. Wow. <laughs> yep. Wow. That's one of those wonderful synchronicities, serendipity. Absolutely. Uh-huh. Or Absolutely. some of us like to call it fate. There you I, go. I'm with you on that. Or the hand of the goddess. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Vicki Noble, for joining us. Yeah, what a pleasure. Absolutely. And thank you, Sean Marlon Newcomb, my co-host. Thank you, Dawn. This is great. I was so looking forward to this. Me too. Me too. So take care, everyone. Thanks for joining us on the 34 Circe Salon, Make Matriarchy Great Again. Take care and blessed be. Blessed be.